You're listening to The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. Join Dell and BJ in conversations about poker theory and bridging the gap between theory and application. We're all in this together. This week's topic, losing the price of tuition. Hey, Dell, how's it going this week? It's going pretty good. It's going pretty good. It's, uh, it's an interesting week so far. I, uh, my water's frozen here in the forest of Vermont, so I'm trying to thaw that out today. I lost internet access during the week, which has hampered my getting volume in. I'm going to out myself now. I got to tell them about it. Uh, we had, I was like all excited. We were going to have Dominic Ania on and, you know, I had him on. We recorded it or I thought I'd recorded it and got all this wonderful gold from him. He's a coach from School of Cards and I forgot to push record. Wow. Wow. So, Ouch. yeah. Yeah. So now I wasted his time and I, I hope that I hope that we can have him on again soon so everybody can hear the gold that comes out of his mouth when it comes to poker. Um, how are you doing? <laughs> so I'm wondering if you really wasted his time or you just kept all his time to yourself and didn't want to share it with the podcast. You're like, you know what? <laughs> this guy, everything he says is gold. I'm going to keep this to myself and screw the community. I'm kidding. I know you wouldn't do that. I know you wouldn't do that. No, no so actually when- I would. <laughs> Okay, I would not admit that on the podcast, but you are pretty honest. All right, so your water's frozen. Yeah. What do you mean? Like you can't take a shower because icicles come out? Like what happens? What do you mean? Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. You live in Maryland where it's warm. No, no, no. Or warmer. Well, well, warmer. It is currently snowing right now, and we're expecting a massive snowstorm today, overnight. But like your water's frozen. What do you mean? Right, right. So I live in a forest in Vermont. So what? temperature was last night was about 18 below with the wind chill and uh, the night before was about 21 below with the wind chill last night the water froze up and got heating tape on but the heating tape wasn't enough got heaters under the house right now trying to thaw it and you know i mean the water's not running because it's all iced up so i think for the rest of america and probably the rest of the world when you say you live in a forest in vermont that's redundant. You could just say you live in Vermont. <laughs> the, the, I'm pretty sure everyone outside Vermont and maybe New Hampshire, <laughs> Massachusetts, New England considers Vermont as one giant forest. Well, you know, there are parts of Vermont that are not forest. It's, uh, you know, and, and New Hampshire is not forest. It's all it's all uh, white mountains, Rocky Mountains. <laughs> okay, there's Montpelier and then there's forest. Burlington. Burlington. That's okay. Okay. Got it. (laughs) Anyway, my week has been interesting, and it's kind of the incentive for this podcast. I haven't played any poker since November. I took all of December off because we were going to visit family, and because of COVID restrictions and us wanting to be safe for our elderly family members when traveling, I just took time off. I haven't played in almost two months. I went back to the casino Friday, and I ended up losing. Now, this is interesting because the hand that busted me, and we can talk about it, I made the right move. However, the loss that I incurred had more emotional value than I would have liked to have admitted, especially as podcast celebrities like we are. And it made me realize that I made a mistake and I'm learning from that mistake. And that's really the podcast that we want to talk about today making mistakes 
is not the same as failure. A mistake is a failure if you don't learn from it. When I was going to grad school like 15 years ago, I got my master's in management. And one of the things I learned was that good judgment comes from experience. Experience comes from bad judgment. That's how you learn. You know, Sky Matsuhashi always says on his podcast, action is the greatest teacher. And it really is when we're open and receptive to it. So that's really the thing. I mean, like we can be perfect some of the time, but none of us can expect to be perfect all the time. And the case in point from my gameplay last weekend is that crap happened. I made a mistake in my game selection, not necessarily how I played it. And I'm going to learn from that. And when we talk more about this, I really want to talk about the tools and the solutions that we have to offer our listeners for this. Really, you need, like we say hand histories, is the best way to get objective feedback on your play. Objective feedback is one of the tools. You need to be brutally honest with yourself. You can't lie to yourself because if you lie to yourself and then lie to others, it does no good. And you need to have a growth mindset. And I'm curious, given what you and I talked about the hand in question a couple days ago, I'm wondering if you felt that before and specifically what your wife would say to that. <laughs> um, wow. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. And I will get to what I think my wife would say about it here in a few minutes. But um, first start, human beings tend to be results oriented. And this this year is a huge problem in poker. It's a, it's a huge problem as human beings. We, we tend to think that the results mean whether or not we did the right thing or not, you know, and the thing is, whether it's life or poker, you can do the right thing and still not get the good results. And what has a tendency to happen in the human brain is we think, okay, well, that didn't work. We must have done something wrong. And we try to do something completely different the next time. And we don't necessarily do any better. And, you know, the opposite's true, you know, and, and this is tends to be more true to form is that we'll do something stupid, get a good result and think, oh, Gee, see, it was a good thing to do. And then we'll keep doing that stupid thing, chasing that same result. And when we don't get it, we think, well, it, it has to be some sort of bad luck or, in, you know, in poker terms, variance. So when I look at that hand we talked about that you shared in Slack that a lot of people have talked about, you had an emotional reaction to it because you lost. Let's look at what we've decided the title is going to be here. Losing is the price of tuition, right? Well. You, you you had an emotional attachment to that loss. And the first reaction that many poker players have is, I must have done something wrong. What could I have done differently to not do that? Well, really, the only thing you can have done differently is to not have emotional attachment to the results. It needed to be an attachment. I have a very emotional attachment now when I play to the decision making. Right. I'm very attached to it, but I'm also still very attached to the results. When I start losing to people, I think that I should be beating. I get very annoyed. I get very angry still. Does it happen as much as it used to? No, it still happens. I still have to work on it. I still have to take in basically keep working on that process of eliminating the emotional attachment to the results. When you lose, you're going to lose. Like I, I we were having this conversation. You are a 62 percent favorite when you shoved in that hand. And people have the mistake. They think, well, I was the favorite. I was I was ahead. I should have won the hand. Well, no. You, the reason we talk about equity in those situations is because you're entitled to 62% of the equity of that pot over time, over the long term. You weren't entitled to 
Uh, I think you said it was, how, how big was the pot? I shoved for $1,100 on the flop. And there was about $750 in dead money in there. So if you consider my raw equity, I had about 62%. If I think, and I did at the time on the table, if I think my opponent had any fold equity at all, that bumps it up. It bumps it up even further when you consider the dead money. I, I would just like to take and make the numbers a little simple for people who are listening. Let's say the pot was 3000 right? You were only entitled to 62% of it, not 100% of it. And that's where I think people get screwed up with the emotional attachment because 38% of the time you're going to lose. And that losing, those 38% of the times that you lose, that's your price of playing the game. You're playing the game of variance, right? You may have done something wrong that you need to learn from, right? And we went over this and we've talked about it. And you do honestly, after all the talking that you've done with me and our coaches and other students, you do actually feel like you did something wrong. And I'll give you a moment in a minute to talk about that. But there's this huge emotional attachment to the fact that you didn't win. Well, you were supposed to lose 38% of the time anyway, right? And that was just one of your 38%. And that is the price of tuition of playing the game. You need to be able to take and be able to look at it and say, okay, did I do something wrong? And be able to be objective about it and say, well, no, the play itself was not wrong. The results you weren't happy with. So what would my wife say about you know, the situation in your emotional attachment to it. She'd probably say a lot of what I've just said. She'd probably say you need to detach yourself from the results. You need to be able to take and make all the right decisions. And when it goes bad, pick yourself up and then make the next right decision. I agree with all that. I, I agree with the emotional attachment. I agree with your entire assessment of my play. I do want to differentiate between two prices. There's the price of admission into playing the game and then the price of tuition in learning lessons. Now, I would say one of my mistakes was equating the price of tuition with the price of admission in the sense that I am not properly rolled for the stakes that I wanted to play. Now, we can talk about why I'm not properly rolled, where I've put my money elsewhere. But the fact is, if I want to play at 2-5, I need to be able to withstand the variance of losing hands like I just did 38% of the time. And if I can't withstand losing that amount of time, even when I make the right decisions, then I need to drop down stakes or I need to somehow get the capital reserves to allow myself to play in that game. And that's the price of admission. You need to have enough money in your budget or your bankroll to play the type of style you want to play, which in my case is incredibly value-seeking, and at the stakes I want to play, in this case, 2-5. Now, the price of tuition, I want to differentiate between that and admission because I think I might have made two mistakes, and one of them I'm not really sure is a mistake. I play incredibly value-seeking game where I have strategic aggression and I try to maximize every edge I can. If I'm not willing to shove all in when I think I have the best of it, even if it's a 62% favorite, I should not be playing the style of game that I want to play. I need to knit it up. I need to play a little bit more conservatively and maybe drop down stakes. Because like we mentioned, I apparently cannot withstand losing pots like that 38% of the time. The other thing is maybe my mistake actually was playing the higher stake. Maybe that was the mistake. Maybe I should have realized, you know what? Oh my goodness. In the past two months when I wasn't playing poker, I dropped a whole bunch of money into crypto and other investments and whatever. 
I no longer have my poker bankroll available to me to withstand that variance. Let me just crush 1-3 because we know I can do that. I did that all in 2021, had an awesome year. And when I look at evaluating the mistakes I made, I have to be brutally honest with myself. And I think that's one of the tools that we need to provide our listeners is be honest. When I wrote my hand history, I could have very easily painted myself in the most favorable light possible. I could have hidden some key information. I could have chosen not to divulge a whole bunch of stuff. Instead, I laid it all out there as honestly as I could, understanding on the way home from the casino, memories fade, bias creeps in, and I might not actually have conveyed the hand history as accurately as it really went down. But it was as darn close as I could possibly come, because if I'm going to get some honest, open feedback about how I played, I need to be honest with myself and honest with a community of trusted, skilled, studied members who aren't just going to be an echo chamber and say, dude, man, that sucks. You totally got a bad rap. Yeah, I, I want to I just want to say one thing here. Like when you talked about if you can't handle a shove it when you're a 62 percent favorite, there there is no such thing as not being able to handle that. All right. If you cannot handle the variance of when you shove with us and you're a 62 percent favorite, either you're playing above where you need to for your bankroll. And, and we're discussing that. Or the other part of that is maybe poker's not the game for you. Because that is a huge equity advantage. And like you said, when you add in fold equity, you have more than 62%. And I'm sure that in this particular hand, you may not have because of their specific hand, but against that person's range, I'm sure you had some fold equity. I think that one of the things that is important to understand is you need to choose the right game for the bank role that you're willing to take, in, that you have to play. But it goes even more than that, because you could probably afford to play at the level that you were, but you're very clear that you keep a bankroll separate from a life roll, and you're not going to intertwine the two. And that's good. That's very good. But you probably could afford to play the game you're at. If you lost, you told me you'd probably have to wait a couple of weeks or a month or two before you could play again, but you'd be able to play it again. Does that mean you should play it? No, you shouldn't, because you had an emotional attachment to the amount of money you were playing with. And therein lies the thing. We keep thinking as poker players that the person who gets the chips won. And yes, they won. They won those chips in that moment. But that's not who really wins the hand. Who really wins the hand is the person that made the right decision. The players that are making the right decisions are the ones that are winning the game. Do they always get the chips their way? No. Nope. Sometimes the chips go the other way. You make the right play on the turn, and the two-outer comes in, and you get to watch the chips go the other way. Guess what? You still won because you won because you made the right decision. You won the game of decisions. I hope you're enjoying this episode, and I need to just interrupt it briefly for an exciting announcement. If you're anything like us, you've made a resolution to take poker more seriously in 2022 so you can earn more money, have more fun doing it, and have less stress along the way. To help us all meet our goals, we've partnered with School of Cards on an exclusive offer for our listeners, a customizable discount plan for any and all courses they offer. School of Cards has transformed our gameplay unrecognizably, and we wanna help you realize that same transformation in your own game. But how will you know which courses would be worth your while? This is where we come in. 
because Dell and I are both School of Cards students who have taken every course they have to offer, we are in the best position to help you make the best use of your time and focus. Go to www.tbstb.com assessment and complete our easy 11 question survey with two bonus open text answers. Seriously, it should take you under five minutes. And one of us will personally evaluate your responses and suggest the School of Cards courses best suited for you within five business days. We might not end up suggesting anything for you, and that's fine. We're not going to sell courses for the sake of selling things. If you're so relatively new to the game that School of Cards material is a bit beyond your level, we'll tell you that since it doesn't help anyone trying to sell you a product that will just be wasted time and effort. Doing so would frustrate you, tarnish our brand, and make everybody lose. We want to be winners here. We might have some free resources or books or something to suggest instead. As students of the game, we want to meet you where you are. We'll provide a link in the description of our YouTube channel and the video that accompanies this episode in our podcast description and on Twitter and our Facebook group. So head over to www.tbstb.com assessment, complete the brief form, and let's start 2022 off powerfully. And now back to the show. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I made a couple mistakes. One is that I likely played in this game that was higher than my current bankroll allows. Now, yeah, we talked about I could replenish my role in a couple weeks or a month, whatever. But regardless, at the time, as of Friday, when I played, I should not have been playing that game because I would not have been willing to lose the money that I lost and not get emotionally attached. And that's the second mistake, getting emotionally attached. And I will admit that is, frankly, embarrassing because we have done podcasts on the mental game of poker. We have done podcasts about ego and mental resiliency and having the emotional intelligence to step away from the results and evaluate the quality of the decisions that we make. I made good decisions at the table. I am actually proud of that. That is fantastic. But I lost and that bothered me. And the fact that it bothered me is yet another lesson that I have to learn. I have to go back and figure out why did that bother me and what can I do to improve my mental edge in the future. And I think that brings us to our third tool, The first one being you got to be brutally honest with yourself. The second one is that you need to get objective feedback in a timely manner from like a community of people that you trust that's not going to be an echo chamber. And the third thing is a growth mindset. If I were just the normal wreck at the casino, you know, they go all in against a four bet shove with pocket fives, probably not ahead of the range of the person who's four bet shoving, but they end up losing they whine and they cry about how they lost this hand. And it's not their fault. They just got unlucky. And the average wreck at the casino, they will not have the situational awareness to evaluate that spot and even consider the fact that they made a mistake. They'll just consider it unlucky. That is a fixed mindset. They're not open to the possibility that that could teach them a lesson. They could learn something from that experience. But you and I, and hopefully our listeners, are the type of people who are willing to learn from those experiences. So the fact that I lost $1,100 in a pot, I don't really worry so much about losing that money because I didn't really lose that money. Yeah, I won the decision-making contest. I lost the hand, but 
I didn't lose the money so much as I paid to open a few things up concerning the stakes I play, how I'm emotionally invested in things, despite the fact that I say otherwise all the time. There are things I can learn. So I think that I think that when I'm listening to you, there's a couple of things that stand out to me. One of the things that stands out to me is is you're kind of beating yourself up, all right, over being the attachment. I I I, I get it. Like we talk about this all the time. Why? How can we possibly have an emotional attachment to the money? Well, there's a reason for that. That we you know money is a tool, and we don't really think of the money when we are playing. We're thinking about for some of us. That's our way of paying the bills. For you, you use that money to invest. You use that money to take in and make car payments. It has a purpose, right? You know, you use it in that manner. So it's not something that anybody, nobody's perfect at it, BJ. Nobody is always emotionally detached from it. Nobody is always emotionally detached from the results. And the reason, and one of the reasons that there is emotional attachment to anything that we're trying to accomplish is that if you work hard, it, it hurts when you don't get the results you want. It causes physical pain. And, and, and I forget, there's a part of the brain that does that. And, and somebody who knows more about the brain would probably be able to know exactly what spot, but it literally causes physical pain when those results don't come out that we work so hard for. So it's not that we should beat ourselves up for it because we're never going to be perfect. We should strive to take and remove as much emotional attachment from the results and, and focus more on the process and the decision making. But nobody's going to be perfect. Nobody. We, we have coaches that are well beyond where we're at. And I've seen them experience that physical pain in moments when stuff has happened to them. And so have you. So don't beat yourself up too hard there. Just work for the next moment. You know, the next moment, how are you going to handle that? And, Try to be a little better on the next moment. You're right. And I appreciate everything you just said, because the fact is, I hold myself to incredibly high standards. I have a relentless pursuit of excellence. It's part of who I am. It's why I consider myself a high performer. And I cannot be perfect all the time. And that's one of the struggles I imagine a lot of people have with giving open and honest hand histories. You make yourself vulnerable. When you put yourself out there to your community, because you're basically saying, hey, community, here is something I did that may not be the most optimal thing. It may not even be remotely right. And I'm putting it out there to get your honest feedback so that I can grow. There's a lot of vulnerability and courage, frankly, that comes with doing that. And this is all part of that growth mindset. You need to open yourself up to receive that feedback. You need to open yourself up mentally and emotionally and put yourself out there. And that takes a lot of courage. And the fact is, I'm not perfect all the time. No one's perfect all the time. And we need to give ourselves the grace to just screw up every now and then. If I screw up and I can learn from it, it wasn't a failure. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to mention is that nobody is in a state of growth all the time. Nobody is in that growth mindset 100% of the time. We all have our static mindsets. It, it happens to all of us. And I think that when we're going through this process, this, this here is really where we need to look at certain things and, and catch ourselves in that moment when we're being pigheaded. One of the things that I've learned about myself is when I'm resistant to something, it's probably what I need to work on. And I'm resistant to it. I want to hunker down in that static 
mindset and like, I, I can't do that. It doesn't work. It doesn't. And I need to look at it when my coaches are saying, you need to try this or you need to look at this or you need to do that and really delve into it and really be open to the change. So when we're looking at this, little mistakes you've made and literally none of them are in the hand. You know, you made a mistake before you ever played the hand just by playing the stakes you were playing. You made a mistake before playing the hand, not just because of the bankroll, but also because we talked about this. The calluses weren't there. You hadn't played in, a, in over a month. You didn't have the emotional calluses built up to play that stake, you know. So maybe going back would have been a good idea to start lower. When we look at it, what happens is, and we say this so often, over and over again, and it's the reality. And it's, it's actually good for those of us that use poker as a way to make a living. It's good for us that this happens, but it's also sad. You have these poker players that when they win, they're convinced it's their skill. And when they lose, they're convinced it's variance. The reality is that may be true, but it probably isn't 100% true of anybody. When we do this and we lose, we can always use that moment to take a look at what we could have done differently. There may not be anything, but we should at least be open to the notion that we could have done something differently. We should do the same thing when we win. Most of us aren't going to. We should still take a look at it and say, well, I won this hand, but did I really play it right? Did I really take the best maximized EV line? That's a great point about people focusing on the negatives and not the positives. Yeah, we do, we talk about the player who doesn't learn because they think their success is through skill and their loss is through variance. But it's also, I think, a really great point that by and large, when players post hand histories or they're seeking feedback on a decision, they're seeking feedback on what they perceive is a mistake that they made. Hey, I did this. I played this hand. I don't think I played it as good as I could have. Could you please help me see where I could have played it better? Instead of saying, hey, here's a hand where I won. And I think I did every single thing as best as possible. This is like the quintessential poker hand. This is going to be engraved on gold tablets and hung in the Poker Hall of Fame. I don't even know if there is one. There probably isn't. And I'm going to, I'm okay, whatever. And I'm going to put this poker hand up there and then people are going to tear it down and people are going to find faults in it. And they're going to say, you did not maximally exploit this player. You left money on the table because of A, B, C, and D. People don't do that. They typically, if they're going to seek feedback at all, it's going to be on a hand that they think they played either poorly or suboptimally. Really what you have to do is post your hand histories. Even if you think the hand is mundane and there's nothing to be gleaned from it, there will be. Where else should we take this, Dell? I mean, it feels like we've covered the topic. We covered growth mindset. We covered open, honest feedback. We covered talking to your community and being honest with yourself and learning. The crux of the issue is if you're not learning, you're stagnating. And if you are learning, then any of the losses you incur are just the prices you pay to learn those lessons. And then you can take those lessons on, avoid those mistakes in the future, do things differently, and come away with more money. So I, I think that if I'm going to add anything here at all from what we've already said, is it's this. You mentioned hand histories, and you mentioned that when you do that, you leave yourself vulnerable. And In fact, you can post those hands that you think are Hall of Fame worthy, and the truth is that you're going to find out that probably could have done something better. I mean, most of us usually can. There 
we're playing a game that's not solved. We're playing a game with a lot of complexities as we go through the different streets of it. So nobody's perfect. And there's a good chance that hand that you think played perfectly if you post it, you might find somebody who might say, well, you could have bet larger here and gotten more value. Uh, you put yourself at risk here. Or, you know, it's worthy to do that, but it's important to do that because you are going to be vulnerable to do it in a community that is not going to be, I don't even know how to put this. It, nobody needs to be bullied to learn. There are some poker communities out there where, you know, when you make a mistake, they're going to make it out like you're the world's biggest idiot. And then there's some good ones out there where they're going to tell you you made the mistake. They're going to be honest with you. They're going to be blunt, but they're not going to, they're not going to be jerks about it. They're telling you because they have your best interest at heart. And I recommend those I recommend you find a community like that. And I found that community at School of Cards. It's not the only one that's like that. There's others, but that's the one we are in, and it's worked really well for us. I can't think of anything else to add on this topic, Dale. So I think we'll leave it there. Thanks for joining me, Dale. It's always great. been awesome, BJ. Thank you. And until next week, whenever you lose, consider the lessons you gain as the price of tuition. This has been The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. If you haven't already done so, consider subscribing. And when you're not counting your chips, take a moment to leave the guys a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get yours. 